and welcome to So It's a Show, a podcast where we attempt to keep up with Lorelai and Rory's pop culture references on Gilmore Girls, and also a podcast where we appreciate Gilmore Girls characters' noses. New segment, <laughs> uh, Your Nose is Beautiful. I'm Kyla. And I am Taylor. And Taylor, you know, I would say of all of your features, your nose is the best. It's perfect, the size, the shape, the color. <laughs> Do you feel like you want to run your finger over my nose? Every time we record. Wow, that's... Actually, don't tell me that. That's a little weird. Every time? We've been doing this how many episodes now? Ooh, that creeps me out a little bit. <laughs> uh, actually, for some reason, I'm mostly just not- noticing it now. Um. Well, I would say your best feature is your dimples. Just kidding. It's your nose. You have a great (laughs) nose. Congratulations. It helps you talk and sing. And um, I would change nothing about it. Like, I would specifically not give you a huge movie star makeover in which I tell you your nose is all wrong. Right back at you. You know, here's a fun fact about my nose. You can uh, put your finger not all the way down on the tip, a little bit above the tip, and it'll just squish on flat. What do you think of that? I don't even I don't even know what to do with that. This is great <laughs> podcast audio content. Cause not everybody can do that. Squish their nose down and it's flat. Uh, you, you can get it pretty good. I've literally never thought about this in my entire life. <laughs> Something new. <laughs> oh my. It just We've means you don't have as much cartilage at the tip, you know. Is this good audio content? No, it's not. But I'm sure everyone right now is touching. I hope you all are touching your nose, squishing it down flat. Send us pics. I don't know. Put them on Instagram. Hashtag, hashtag so it's a nose. <laughs> I have no clue how to transition from that other than just to say, should we talk about pop culture? We recommend before we dig into the main piece of pop culture we're talking about today. That has a lot to do with noses. Yes, let's do it felt pretty confident in my recommendation of Kyla what is a piece of pop culture you wholeheartedly recommend only murders in the building come on who isn't watching this so good so I first saw a little teaser for it and I was like oh that looks funny I should check it out but like you know it's hard to check out a show because I'm already watching like five so then Taylor you tell me, hey, have you heard about this show? It's about podcasting. And I was like, hold the phone. I did not get that from the trailer. Definitely watching. So I love it because it is a satirical true crime podcast TV show. But there's also a mystery in it. And so, mm-hmm. yeah. Yes. So good. And I'm going to tell you, I have not watched the most recent episode yet. So Me neither. Okay, good. Whew. You won't. Sh- we wouldn't share spoilers because I think you and I are both pretty far into the show at the point we're yeah. recording this. All that to say, I am super into it as well. It is so funny. I love the podcast angle. They're like little things, you know, where they're joking about how hot it is in their closet as they're recording. And yep. <laughs> you guys don't know this at home, but like this is a conversation Kyla and I have had at least 40 times about how hot it is in the closet we're recording in for better audio quality. Anyway, Mm -hmm. it's lovely. And the mystery, super compelling. I have guesses about who did it, but I don't think any of them are right. 
Yeah, I have no guesses. Um, I also recently watched, I uh, binged really, Clickbait. Oh, and yeah. That one, I I completely fell for each of their <laughs> twists. Like, I was like, oh, it's that person. And they wanted me to think that. Oh, wait, it's that person. And they wanted me to think that. So I totally fell for everything they fed me. So I will probably not figure it out. Okay. Well, I, I love when I don't figure it out. I would rather yeah. not figure it out and be surprised yeah is my two bits uh taylor what do you wholeheartedly recommend well i wholeheartedly second your recommendation for all the murders <laughs> in the building streaming every week on hulu although by the time this episode comes out i think it'll be over and all the episodes will be out mm, okay don't quote me on that but i think I would like to also add another series that's just uh, under 10 episodes that I watched recently. It is called The History of the Sitcom, which was a summer series on CNN, a little documentary series. I think they do some really nice overview documentary series. If you've ever watched their series, um, their decade series, 70s, 80s, 90s, 00s. Oh, yeah, I have watched one of those. At one point, they were on Netflix. They're not right now. Hopefully, they'll come back. I think there's one on the 60s I've never watched, which I would like to watch. But History of the Sitcom, if you have enjoyed our sitcom episodes, I think they discussed every single show you and I have discussed at some point. I did not do a side-by-side comparison, um, but there were several shows like Mary Tyler Moore, I Dream of Jeannie, The, the Honeymooners, that all had um, actually pretty lengthy discussions about how they related to different aspects of culture. And then there were, you know, tons of other series we've talked about that just get name dropped okay. as part of the history of the sitcom. And I think it's interesting, the whole angle they take is about how sitcoms are a great place to talk about uncomfortable topics because there's laughter Hmm. so every episode is centered around a different theme like the first one is about families there's another one about workplace dynamics another about how sitcoms have talked about class and race and it kind of goes into at the end escaping reality they're talking about more like fantastical sitcoms that blend Mm fantasy and reality and they have i mean if there is somebody still living from one of the sitcoms they're discussing they interview them i mean tracy Hmm. morgan is talking about 30 rock yeah they have people from pretty much every major show jason alexander from seinfeld also i watched this after ed asner and gavin mcleod had both died and they're both in the show commenting on mary tyler moore and the love boat and um it's just kind of fun to see them there and also a little bittersweet because we've lost them since i this summer yeah oh cool that sounds really interesting yeah, so it a little bit felt like listening to one of our episodes, and I just sat and binged it in almost one day. There's too many great movies. The burden is overwhelming. I'm sinking under the pressure. What about the pop culture after we talking about today? It ain't oh a sitcom. Goodness. No. Um, this comes from, which it's been mentioned before. Well, in some ways or another. But we're talking from Gilmore Girls episode 516. So, not so it's a show. So, good talk. We could have also named our show that. So, good talk? Oh, that would have been good. Um, <laughs> we all know the talk they're talking about. 
the talk. You know what I mean, guys? <laughs> <laughs> but that's not really what we're talking about today. We're no, going to have a good talk about talk other about stuff. The talk. <laughs> yeah. And this episode first aired March 1st, 2005. It's season five, episode 16. So we are barreling down toward the end of season five. The IMDb plot summary is, Luke, upset and missing Lorelai, begins to take it out on his customers. (laughs) Always a delight. Lane realizes her mom is in her head, and with the grandparents back from their second honeymoon, Rory makes it clear that Friday night dinners are just dinner and nothing more. Mm. Emily acts like she doesn't realize all the hurt she's caused Lorelai, but goes to see Luke to make things right. And in one of my favorite subtle moments is just seeing Emily and Kirk sitting together at the bar at Luke's. <laughs> That's not a, a character pairing we get very often, but what a delight. You have a wide selection here. What is mud pie? Oh, that's awesome. It's chocolate pie with Oreo cookie crust. And sometimes you can get Luke to put gummy worms in it, like worms in the mud. So you can imagine. Well, you've painted a wonderful picture. A delight indeed. Yeah. But while Lorelai is trying to navigate her singlehood once again, Suki tries to help her out and have a little night on the town. But... They get about as far as the car. <laughs> Why don't we just stay home? No, we're in the town! Not tonight. We have to. I can't let you become the spinster on the couch. We can go inside and order in pizza. You need to go out and, and see things and do things. I have a Star is Born, all three versions. We can compare and contrast performances and dosages. It is my responsibility as your best friend to make sure you go do exciting things even when you don't want to. Hanging out with you is exciting. It is and with pepperoni and some extra cheese, look out. I am getting kind of hungry. Well, sure, all this partying will do that to you. Can we watch the Stries and the Star is Born first? I really love that scene where she chews on Chris Christopherson's lips. Yeah! <laughs> okay, Kyla. Had you seen A Star is Born when you not... started watching Gilmore Girls? No, I had not. I watched Gilmore Girls for the first time around 20... While I was in college. Well, I watched a little bit while I was on TV, but like, as we all did, I missed episodes. I missed the finale. Mm-hmm. I was very mad at my sister for a while about it. Um, <laughs> so I didn't know what happened. But anyways, and I did watch it. No, I hadn't watched Stars Born. Of course, the new one wasn't out yet. So I did not know. I did not know why someone was chewing on somebody else's lip. <laughs> what about you? Uh, same here. All the footage of A Star is Born I had seen is from the very end of this episode when you see Judy Garland, both in text and person form, on Lorelai's screen. And I had never seen any of the editions of A Star is Born. But now... Zero. I know. So, but I think someone coming into Gilmore Girls now may not be at zero because we just had a new version. Yeah. I will tell you, when Lorelai mentioned she had all three versions, and, you know, I looked at that for this episode, I thought, oh, okay, well, I've already seen one, so I've got two to go. (laughs) (laughs) Forgetting that, well, one of them came out after this episode of Gilmore Girls, so I really had three to go, plus the new one to rewatch. So, four. Four A Star is Borns. 
And I would also like to point out how Lorelai says it. She says, I Netflixed all three A Star is Borns, which is maybe the first acknowledgement of Netflix mm. on Gilmore Girls, the first I've noticed. But how she's using it as a verb is different than how we talk about Netflix today. Yeah. Because at that time, you had to order your DVDs through the mail. Yes, and, and you know... Oh, God. I was just going to say, we know she had a more premium package on Netflix and their st- subscription service because you could only have so many DVDs at a time. And if you wanted to have more than one DVD at a time, you had to pay more so you could have yeah. three DVDs at one time. Yeah. I remember, and I remember, you guys, this is how not forward-thinking I am. I remember when Netflix changed to you had to either choose between getting the DVDs or streaming, and I thought, well, there's more options with the DVDs. Who would choose streaming? That's so stupid. (laughs) I mean, and quickly, of course, the DVDs went away, and they added everything to their streaming, but I was like, I would rather have the DVDs streaming. I think the DVD service technically does still exist. It does. And I think it technically does have a wider selection. Hmm. I, you would have to hmm. fact check me on that. But I remember there have been times where I've searched on Netflix for a movie. And they're like, sorry, we don't have that. Here are similar things or you can get it on DVD. Oh, wow. Okay. So I think it exists, but it is, like, (laughs) in addition to your streaming tier. And I do not think it's very widely used anymore. Yeah, I wouldn't imagine. So feel free to reach out if you are a Netflix DVD subscriber. I would love to know if that service is worth getting. Maybe I could find some of those weird, obscure old movies I'd like to find, including one that we'll talk about in a little bit. A Star is Born. You guys may know the new one. Um, you probably do. It was kind of a big deal with Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper. We are obviously going to spoil everything. So if you <laughs> haven't watched it and you want to, which I would say we recommend um, at least watching one, um, pause the podcast. Yes. But if you're okay with full spoilers, here we go. And it is worth noting, we've talked about the 1937 A Star is Born a little bit already in the episode that we just rebroadcast last week in the Dorothy Parker, Don Powell episode, because Dorothy Parker was one of the writers of the original A Star is Born. And before we dig into this, not to belabor the point of why we're here today, I did want to call out one news bit. That just came through not that long ago <laughs> that is related to something we very directly talked about in the This Dorothy just in. I got a episode. hot scoop on a tall blonde and I got to put it to bed on the double. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. That was a delight. <laughs> it's not quite a hot scoop hot off the presses. It came through August 25th. We'll share this in our Tumblr. But do you remember how we talked about how both Dorothy and Dawn have interesting stories about their bodily remains after they died um only because as i was putting together our rebroadcast i heard part of that in the audio 
But I do not remember what it was. <laughs> so brief refresher. Because I did re-listen to the episode and it was like relearning all these things over again. I had forgotten that I knew these things once. Don Powell donated her body to science. And then um, the rest of her body that they did not use for science. <laughs> if that's how you say for... it. They was She was put into a mass grave. And we don't really know who her, her remains are. Okay. I have no updates on Dawn. She's... Bodily speaking, gone forever, I think. Though if we find her, I hope that will be good for her family. Um, but I'm at peace with that. Good. Here's the thing that I'm now more at peace with. Dorothy Parker. When she died, she left her estate to Martin Luther King Jr. Right. He died shortly after she died. So all of... Her possessions, her estate, like the things she had left to Martin Luther King, including her bodily remains, were given to the NAACP, where they sat around in an office because they didn't really know what to do with him, is my best understanding. There mm -hmm. may be more complicated reasons why, <laughs> but the bottom line is they were sort of in purgatory, you might say. <laughs> well... On August 25th, there was a news bit that seems that her bodily remains have finally come to rest. In this article from the Baltimore Sun, after much wrangling, the NAACP agreed with Parker's relatives to relocate the ashes to New York as the organization moved its headquarters to Washington. The ashes were reburied in the cemetery, and our friend of the pod, Kevin Fitzpatrick, president of the Dorothy Parker Society, was quoted in this article. He said, this is finally her homecoming to her beloved New York City. And her relatives came to the memorial. They read her work. They poured some gin on her grave because she loved gin. Mm -hmm. And in her headstone, they carved a poem that she wrote that says, Leave for her a red young rose. Go your way and save your pity. She is happy for she knows that her dust is very pretty. Hmm. So I just wanted to say we can put this to rest. Yeah. Kind of literally that Dorothy Parker now has a place that she has a final resting place and you can go visit her grave. That's a good thing. I just feel like people should be buried and not kept in a jar, passed around. It's just, you know, you know, kept in some file cabinet. Yeah. Wherever I she was at the office. Yeah. And, you know, um, sorry, the... <laughs> My brain went back. Um, you mentioned that they poured out, poured some gin on Dorothy Parker's. Mm -hmm. Doesn't Lorelai usually have a gin martini? Like, there was an episode where she asked for a cocktail, and um, Emily said that she had already made a pitcher, and Lorelai's like, oh, okay, I don't need gin then. Like, it sounds on brand think. for her. I can't yeah, remember that specifically, but it sounds on brand for sure. Yeah, maybe that wasn't the... Anyways, it would just make sense that Amy Sherman Palladino would use that, especially because her name is... The production company name is Dorothy Barker Drinks here, you know? Yes. A little cocktail. Yeah. Check out our Dorothy and Dawn episode if you want more strange connections between those two <laughs> ladies and with Amy Sherman Palladino's Gilmore Girls career. Yeah. And 
One martini. That's with a twist, Lorelei? Nope, an olive in a vodka martini. Not vodka, Mom. Gin. <laughs> it's always been gin. Gin martini. Really? Yes, always. I don't remember that at all. So, A Star is Born. Your other Set way to tribute, up. show tribute to Dorothy Parker. Watching A Star is Born. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> These movies, there are four of them. Taylor, break it down. Okay. <laughs> okay, we're going to do a quick overview of all four movies, just so you can kind of try and keep it straight. There is a 1937 version. This is the one that Dorothy Parker co-wrote. And it stars Janet Gaynor and Frederick March playing Esther Blodgett slash Vicky Lester. We'll talk more about that. (laughs) And Norman Maine. This movie won two Oscars, including an honorary award for its color photography. As you know, not super common in 1937. Had six more nominations. And it was, you know, we don't have all the records box office, but by all accounts, it was a box office hit. People loved it. Ladies and gentlemen. When something like this happens to you, and you try to tell how you feel about it, you find that out of all the words in the world, there are only two that really mean anything. Thank you. So, strong start in 1937. Then we've got this 1954 version. Once again, in the roles of Esther Blodgett slash Vicki Lester and Norman Maine, we have Judy Garland and James Mason. It was nominated for six Oscars, and it is one of those movies that the American Film Institute loves. It's all over a bunch of lists for them. Uh, you can check that out on their website. You know about as much about me now as I do myself, but you see how long it's taken me to get this far. <sighs> Now, all I need is just a little luck. What kind of luck? Oh, the kind of luck that every girl singer with a band dreams of. There's another version in 1976 starring Barbara Streisand and Chris Christopherson. Their names are slightly updated to Esther Hoffman and John Norman Howard. And also in a role, Gary Busey. Eagle-eyed viewers will notice. It won one Oscar for Best Song, nominated for three more. The album for the movie went quadruple platinum. Even though it came out a month before the movie, I think it really hyped the movie that this great album Mm. came out. The reviews were middling, but it was a box office hit. Behind guess what two 1976 movies we have episodes on, Rocky and All the President's Men. Hmm. Wow. So, we love the year 1976 on this pod. Apparently. Jesus, that's pretty. What is it? Oh, just a little piece I wrote. Keep hoping it'll be a sonata when it grows up. And then, as probably most of you know, 2018, we got Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper as... Allie and Jackson, Maine. Um, I saw one article call her Allie Campana, but I found no evidence in the movie or no. anywhere else that that's really her last name. Mm-mm. I don't think she has a last name aside from Maine when she gets married. Um, also starring Sam Elliott, Anthony Ramos, Dave Chappelle. It 
earned over $200 million domestically. It won an Oscar for the best song, Shallow, and it was nominated for seven more, including Best Picture. Wow. Hey. What? I just want to take another look at you. (laughs) So basically, all of these movies have been cultural touchstones in their own time and in the legacy. Larger, they've all been nominated for Oscars. Two of them have won for Best Song. Several of them have been nominated for Best Picture. So this is a story that resonates with a lot of people. And why don't we talk a little bit about the plot? Because it's basically the same for all four with variations. So here's a list of things that happens in most or all versions. Kyla, feel free to chime in as you do. And we're just going to call them Guy and Gal. Because their names change throughout the versions. So in this story, this guy and this gal meet by chance. He's a little bit drunk. She wows him with her talent. He's taken with her immediately. He helps her get a big break either in the movie industry or the music industry. They work together a little bit in some capacity. They elope. He embarrasses her at a major awards show, either the Oscars or the Grammys. He tries to get clean, but he ends up relapsing to whatever addiction he has in the earlier versions. It's pretty much just alcoholism. In the later versions, there's a mix of drugs involved as well. Mm -hmm. She, at some point, is planning to either scale back or quit her career to support him and help him through his problems. But he either learns new information or someone says something to him that impacts him negatively. He sees himself as too big a burden to her and he commits suicide. She has some sort of breakdown. It might be publicly at his funeral. And then usually someone talks sense into her and says, you can't stay sad forever. You need to honor his memory. And like, you have a great talent and you should not give up just because the sad Mm -hmm. thing has happened. And then she makes a final public appearance. Anything I missed in that arc? That's, no, that's all of it. And all of them too. The gal is a dreamer and she's Mm -hmm. pursuing that dream, but it's hard to break into (laughs) all either of those, you know, music or, or movies. So. There are also, like, little moments that happen in most or all of them. Like, she has to get a ridiculous makeover at some point. Oh, my gosh, And has mixed feelings about it. They have friends in the industry, and there's usually, like, one person who's pretty supportive of the male, the guy, as he's going through Mm -hmm. his struggles, and one who's cruel and probably says something to him that drives him to commit suicide. Mm -hmm. Usually in all of them, but the most recent, the guy punches someone. But in the most recent one, Allie, Mm. the gal, punched someone. (laughs) Oh, good call. There's also usually like a beautiful house that they live in together. Mm -hmm. And then there's a off-the-beaten-path home that they go to in some of them. Good point. And then there's a lot of like repeated or similar dialogue throughout. And there's in all of these movies, there's a moment with slight variations Where he's like, hey, and she's like, what? And he's like, I just wanted to take another look at you. Which became a meme 
in the most recent version, but it still gets me every time. <laughs> Uh, in all of them, her nose is the problem. Yes. Judy Garland even has, like, when they give her her ridiculous makeover, she, they ask her to start wearing, like, prosthetics over her nose yeah. to change the shape. Oh, my goodness. And Lady Gaga says that she couldn't get a record deal because people didn't think she was pretty enough. Mm-hmm. Which is just, in all those cases, it's so stupid. Like, so stupid. Yeah. And, like, okay, you know, like, Anna Taylor-Joy, who is, she was in The Queen's Gambit, and she mm-hmm. was in Emma. She said she was the first ugly Emma. And it's, like, I, first of all, who cares, also? Like, you're, you're just, a, you're a person, and you're a wonderful actress. But, like, the fact that that is where her brain goes. Because other people, I'm sure made her like told her that and put that in her head anyways also i'd just like to say regency curls are flattering on almost no one so (laughs) if she doesn't feel great about her appearance in that movie i assure you it has nothing to do with actually her it has everything to do with regency style but yeah that's a sidebar for another day (laughs) so true (laughs) yes okay so now you and i have watched all four versions talk about it tell me your feelings highs lows emotions do you like these movies yes how do you rank them what are your favorites start with the rank okay Ooh. okay or we can save it whatever you want to do i think we need to take a small journey okay let's take a journey Ooh. okay okay journey i started in the way that suki wanted to i started (laughs) with barbara Okay. Because I wanted to see the lip chew. And let me tell you, I was, I had high expectations because I've seen the newest of stars born already. Okay. And it's Barbara Streisand. And so we I was love like, Barbara in Funny love Girl. Love Funny Girl. And Hello Dolly. Love. We love I, those movies. Yes. I listen to Funny Girl soundtrack all the time. Love it. I was disappointed Okay. The soundtrack was not a bop for me. It just it I don't it just didn't hit. And afterward, even after I think I watched, you know, then then I went Judy and then the original and then the newest one, I was like, "Well, let me listen to the soundtrack again." And it I was just like, "Huh. Meh." And I was I was sad that I felt that way because it's Barbara, but it was, like, very similar story to Funny Girl. It the is. Coming to fame, the guy helped her, he had, his addiction was gambling, he, they, you know, separated and she could go on and live her dream. Mm-hmm. And Funny Girl was better. So, yeah, I was not, I, to me... Streisand walked so that Gaga could fly. And, like, they, their, their movie was a huge change from the first two. They made a lot of differences. And then, like... You mean Barbara Lady Gaga, and Chris? Yeah. And okay. then Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper just did it better. But they certainly built off of what Barbara and Christopher... Christopher? Chris Christopherson. Oh my gosh, why did his parents do that? I don't they know if certainly... that's his real name or his stage name. <laughs> that's true. 
Well, then why the stage name? But they set it up for Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper to be able to do what they did. Unless Bradley Cooper would have come up with all that on his own. Maybe he would have, but probably not. But it just wasn't wasn't great to me. From what I can tell, Bradley Cooper very deliberately was trying to update the Barbara Streisand version. With, of course, yeah. nods to the Judy Garland and Janet Gaynor versions. But yeah. everything I've read seems to indicate his was modeled on the Barbara Streisand version. Yeah. And it, it seemed like it. So, what did you think about the Barbara version? It is also my least favorite version. Okay, there we go. I, and that is, I rewatched all of them in the last week or two. But I had seen all four of them before, leading up to the 2018 movie. I wanted to watch the other three. I had already seen Judy. The excellent movie journalist that you are. (laughs) Well, I had already seen the Judy version and loved it. So I I was Mm. very excited for the Lady Gaga one. And that made me want to watch the 1937 and 76 versions. And... I watched the Barbara version last, so unlike you, I had already seen all the other versions, and I was very underwhelmed. And there were moments in it that I liked, and obviously love Barbara. Mm -hmm. I think it works the least well for many reasons. I think Mm -hmm. the themes of A Star is Born that I resonate with the most, because it's a very crunchy text about fame, about addiction, about challenges in marriage about following your dreams and what that looks like what you have to sacrifice along the way about two artistic and creative people like working and living together and creating art together I think it just explored the themes I'm most most interested in the least I think the male character, I don't know if it's Chris Christopherson's fault, but I think it's the least developed of all the male characters. And it is the only version where their relationship feels so toxic to me that I'm, I obviously never like want to root for divorce and I'm definitely not rooting for his suicide. Like in no circumstance am I rooting for that. But it's the only one where I'm like, oh, this relationship does feel toxic and maybe, like, I don't want to say get divorced, but, like, it almost, it feels like there's something fundamentally, like, so um, toxic Mm -hmm. at its core about how, like, volatile and, like, hurtful they can be to each other through Mm -hmm. the ups and downs. So, and to me, if that relationship doesn't work this story doesn't work yeah and i think in the other three versions even when they come through challenges you're still rooting for them to make it yeah and one thing i like about these movies because which times do change and i'm glad but this movie is a love story like that is Mm -hmm. the important part and I think a lot of movies now shy away from that, which in a lot of ways is good because there's more to life than finding your person and, like, there's more to be celebrated than that. But these, all of them, even the most modern one, it is a love story. And I agree. 
I don't think he was the least developed, but I think he was the least likable. Oh, for sure. Because he was... He he just had a death wish. He was a little bit different than the other ones in that just the whole time he cared very little about if he lived or died. He was constantly pulling stunts. And it yeah. we didn't even see his career decline. We just saw a person who could not be an adult. I mean, he could he yeah. didn't even go up on stage sometime. I mean, all the, like, did he ever end up going on stage? You know, it was just yeah. very rarely did he pull it together. And so... That's what I didn't like. I The moment I loved most from that movie was when they were recording, singing together, Evergreen, yeah. which mm-hmm. is the song that won them the Oscar. But just seeing them together in that moment and, you know, him kissing her arm and holding hands on the mic, like it, that felt very intimate and, and real. And that was, I enjoyed that. But yeah, I mean, and then he like cheated on her. That was so weird to me. Like. That and then I, she was supposed she forgave him. I hate. Well, and it's a it's a weird sequence weird. of events. Weird. That's the only version where he cheats on her, and the other three that's not even a consideration. Like that's not even a thing he's thinking about in the other three. No. She catches them in bed together after some journalist is swimming naked in his pool because she wants to interview Barbara, which is bizarre but she ends up in bed with chris christopherson mm-hmm. she catches them at their house and it goes into this huge fight understandably well and it, the lady still tries to get an interview with her well oh, she's pfft. naked with her husband oh my gosh read the room lady um <laughs> and it turns into this huge fight understandably but it turns into a lot of things like, I hate you, I love you, I hate you, I love you. They end up going back to their ranch out mm-hmm. in the southwest desert. And things seem to all of a sudden be okay. That's the thing to me that feels toxic. Yeah. is like all of a sudden you're just fine again. That You didn't work through your issues. Something doesn't seem right there. And that's when he decides to commit suicide by drunk driving. Well, and that was the part I'm, I, to me, I don't think it was a suicide. I think it was a continuation of him just not caring whether he lived or died. Cause he drove on a motorcycle like crazy. He did all sorts of crazy stuff, the whole movie, but this time he did die. And so maybe in the moment he did decide like, all right, I'm going to end it, but I thought it was interesting that that was an interesting take, though, because it was like the whole movie he had a death wish and then yeah. he did die. So hard to say, like, yes, suicide. But it did seem like he was saying goodbye to Barbara when, when he left. Yes. And with that in mind, I think this is the only version of A Star is Born that you really need the other movies to, like, give you context. Because mm. I, think, I think it would have felt more ambiguous as to his intentions but like when you look at it in the legacy of the other movies you're like oh this he does have this death wish he is going to commit suicide whereas i think if this were just a standalone movie that came out in the 70s you'd be like what's up with that character i don't fully understand him yeah or it's just more open to interpretation yeah 
So that's our least favorite version. Mm-hmm. What's your number three? My number three is the original. Okay. Tell me more. I, which not to say the two ahead of it are just like so much better. I really liked the original. Let's see. So, and what I love is the, well, you know what though? Could we talk about Judy? Because I almost feel like it's cool to see the progression. Because if you go backwards, you can also easily see. Well, here's the thing. My ranking changes depending on which version I've most recently watched. (laughs) Uh, but okay. maybe we can talk about it this way. At the moment, don't hate me. Judy is number three for me. Wow. And I still love it. Like, the difference between three and four for me is huge. Versus, like, one, two, and three changes on the day. So, like, ask me tomorrow, Judy might be my number one. You know what I'm saying? Today it's number okay. three. Okay. Um, Talk about it. Tell me why. The reason it's number three... <laughs> And this is just, like, personal preference. Because I understand, technically, it's probably the best and most important version of all of them. It is the one, like, that I think is most considered a classic today. It's very long. And personally, well, I don't... (laughs) Here's the thing. You can see I'm, like, trying to work my way up to this. Like, Mm -hmm. I... You know those things where you're just like, I know this is the wrong opinion officially, but, like, this is how I feel. Yeah. When this movie came out, it actually, like, started with a strong box office. And then, to get more runtime, the studio took out a half hour of it without the director's approval, put it back in theaters. It was missing key scenes. And I cannot believe this is a thing they destroyed the negatives yeah isn't that insane (laughs) so there is like a restored version which is probably the one you and i watch where they've Mm -hmm. been able to find some of the footage in weird places but then there are other parts where they only have the dialogue and they put still photographs in Mm -hmm. and i actually think they it works pretty well yeah i think it was good Yeah, I think it works well and kind of adds, like, a nice, unique, artsy flair to it. So I, like, want to say I think this was a terrible decision the studio made. Don't – I'm not supporting that. It's so long. And, like, some of those musical numbers are so long. Like, all of them. Just cut. And Judy Garland is phenomenal in all of them, but, like, they're just so long. And – my instinct is always to say to edit, and the reason the 1937 version is ranked higher for me is because it's, like, it's so short. I love it. <laughs> it's to the yeah. point and doesn't, like, it just doesn't pause for very long songs that, like, don't really progress the plot. And I know that's the wrong opinion, but that's how I feel. That's okay. You're allowed. Yeah. Yeah, Judy, for me, the original and Judy's version are very close. So it goes mm-hmm. back and forth to me. But Judy is, has stayed for, for a couple days now as my, my number two. Mm-hmm. But definitely the musical numbers I, like, kind of tuned out. They were great, though. But, like, I just kind of, I'm going to play a quick game on my phone, you know, <laughs> while she gets through this. Because it, but it, because it wasn't necessary to the plot, and then I could like tune back in. And yeah, it's fine. 
And I think it's also different as you progress through the film. So, like, at the beginning when she does that long version of the man that got away. Mm-hmm. And James Mason finds her singing this song with her band. And you're just watching him fall in love with her on the spot. Yeah. And and the camera just watches her for long stretches of time. And Judy Garland, of course, is one of the most amazing performers in the history of Hollywood and recorded music. So Mm -hmm. it's great. But then at the end of the movie, she does this very long sequence. I was born in a trunk. And she like tells this entire long life story with all these different sequences in it. And technically it's very impressive. Like it's very well done. She's incredible. But like by that point, I think you're well into hour two of the movie you're just a little like okay so there's this major marital drama going on but we're gonna pause and do this like 10 minute musical number well and it's like a musical within the movie because yes this is her movie that's come out that you know is her i mean she's had other successes but it's her big lead part but we just don't need to see it we can believe that like she's made a movie that was super successful we didn't have to watch the movie ourselves within the movie (laughs) Yeah. But to me, their relationship was more compelling than like Barbara and Chris Christopherson. For sure. I cared more. I could relate to him more, how he was feeling, his frustrations. And he was, he was pretty, he was pretty irredeemable though, much like Chris Christopherson. Like he was, could not keep it together for performance. But yeah, at that point, like he was an actor and she, or wait, was he a singer? He was an actor, but not a singer. Okay. So he was an actor and Judy wanted to sing, but also be an actress. And of course, back then musicals were the norm. And so if you can sing and act, then you're, you're golden. And she was so funny and such a good actress. And it just felt like I got more into how she was feeling. Yeah. But it was just, I don't know, it was just like, like you said, it's one of those like classics. Judy Garland, Mm -hmm. I mean, hard to go too wrong. Yeah. Well, and I think it's also worth pointing out, you know, you talk about how he can be frustrating in this movie. I think one of the best scenes in the movie is when Judy Garland is talking to the supportive friend in the industry And she has this little monologue about the range of emotions she has Mm -hmm. being married to someone who's struggling with addiction. What, what, What is it? What is it that makes him want to destroy himself? You, you've known him longer than anyone else. Tell me what it is. Please, I don't care. Just tell me. Don't you think I've tried through the years to know why, to help him? I don't know, Esther. I don't know what the answer is. Well, I've got to find the answer. You don't know what it's like to watch somebody you love just crumble away bit by bit, day by day, in front of your eyes, and stand there helpless. Love isn't enough. 
I thought it was. I thought I was the answer for Norman. But love isn't enough for him. And I'm, I'm afraid of what's beginning to happen within me. Because sometimes I hate him. I hate his promises to stop. And then the watching and waiting to see it begin again. to go home to him at night and listen to his lies. Well, my heart goes out to him because he tries. He does try. But I hate him for failing. I hate me, too. I hate me because I failed, too. I have. I don't know what's going to happen to us, Oliver. No matter how much you love somebody, how do you live out the days? <laughs> I love that scene. And I think the Barbara version would have benefited from a scene like that. Because I think, mm. like you said, the Chris Christopherson version is so unlikable. And I think, I don't think this was in the, the intent behind it, but it does feel a little bit dismissive of the addiction when you just kind of treat him as an unlikable person. Yeah. And I think the other three versions are much more sympathetic recognizing, like, this person is more than their addiction and the problems that come with it. But I also think that this monologue from Judy is so important to talk about, like, all the mixed feelings someone in a relationship, in that relationship, might feel. Where, like, I still love him and want the best for him, but I'm also frustrated and am hurt and I hate him sometimes. Like, I love that mix of emotion. Yeah. And I think it, the Barber version would have benefited from something like that. Yeah. And, you know, you're talking about the themes earlier that this movie gets into. And I think another major one is the feeling of I love someone, but my love can't fix them. Yeah. And how helpless that makes people feel. Because I'm sure we all have people in our lives who... We would just love to love them to health. And yes. that's, that 100%. just isn't how it works. Yes. And I think I, one of the slight variations in the newest version is when Allie goes to see Jackson or Lady Gaga goes to see Bradley Cooper in rehab. Mm-hmm. And she says, like, do you want to be with me when we when you get out of here because you got worse after we got married. And I think she's speaking from a moment or the way I interpret it is a moment of insecurity, not a moment of, I don't want to be married to you anymore. It feels like a, am I actually hurting you? Hmm. Am I the problem here? Kind of question. And I think, you know, that I think is probably just how we talk about addiction and relationships differently. 
in the 21st century versus these other versions. But I think all the mixed emotions, I think, is, like, one of the strengths that this story has. Yeah. Yeah. So should we talk about the OG? Yeah, let's talk about the OG. (laughs) So this is my number, wait, what am I at? Two. You're number three right now? No, my number two. Oh, wait, so my number three. I'm miscounting. You're number two. (laughs) You're number three, my number two. (laughs) Yes. So what I just loved watching with each of these movies is how, I mean, I watched them backwards, but I could still see then the progression just in reverse. And so now we're down to, she's not a singer at all. She just wants to be an actress. Yeah, this is not a musical at all, Mm -mm. this 1937 version. Nope. Um, And, which, by the way, one thing I noticed, which I notice in all these old movies usually, Judy and the original one, what is with? These men yelling at young women and grabbing their upper arms. Happened in both of them. <laughs> We've talked like, about this before, and I've never upper noticed arm grabbing. it. I just, and then it just makes the women just like crane their necks back in this like dramatic pose. Um, again, good podcast content. But <laughs> these guys just yell at these young women, and it's just like totally fine. Um, the OG one was especially annoying to me. Mr. McGuire is a big director. Oh, are you really? Oh, could you possibly use me in a picture, Mr. McGuire? Of course, I haven't had much experience, but I don't think that really matters if you're willing. And now I really listen, feel that- lady. In the first place, I'm not a director. I'm an assistant director. In the second place, if I had any jobs to give away, I'd confer one on myself. And in the third place, you should have stayed back home in the first place. Because then, this guy becomes her best friend in the movie. And I love their friendship, and I hate that I love it, because he starts off the relationship by yelling at her. That's true. I do love their friendship. And it is also strange that it starts that way. But this version of Esther is Mr. Blodgett, which, yeah, I'd change that name in Hollywood, too. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Uh, My apologies to you if your last name is Blodgett. Uh. It's not personal. And honestly, if you become Lady Gaga superstar level and you keep your Blodgett name, like, all power to you. I support you. Yeah. I just, in this day and age, aren't we, like, don't we, like, care a little bit less about, like, the family name? Like, can't you just change it, you know, if you want? Who and cares? to be fair, Vicky Lester, not as cool today. I think that played better in 1930s and 50s. Yeah. Now it sounds like a grandma name. Apologies yeah. if your name is Vicky Lester and you're not <laughs> a grandma. Uh, you do you. You fin- Like, you do you. It's great. So she is much more bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Oh, yeah. She's going to conquer the world. She came from North Dakota with her grandma's mm-hmm. money. Like the classic scene in the tiny, like, two-room home with the grandma and the parents. And I felt like I was about to watch, I don't know, um, what's it called? That Christmas movie with the tall guy. It's a Wonderful um, Life? Yep. See, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. 
That is like not the way I would have described it, but I just was trying to think of what you might be talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the grandma's awesome, the, by the way. Love the grandma. Yes. Yeah, she gives her the money to go to Hollywood, pursue her dream. She's like, go for it. Yeah. But if you tell anyone where that money came from, I'll tell the cops you stole it from me. Love her. She's the best. Yes. Remember, Esther, for every dream of yours you may come true, you'll pay the price in heartbreak. what I'm talking about. You may not believe it, but I was a young girl once. A very pretty young girl. A lot prettier than you are. But yeah, she meets him in, you know, similar way. And I felt like in this one, he was the least developed. But I also feel like that has to do with the times. And like, um, I was watching a video about the all four versions of Star is Born. And, like, now we like the anti-hero. You know, we want to mm. know why they do what we do and we can empathize with them. Yeah. Even the bad guy on the Avengers. You know, we're like, oh. Thanos? Thanos, yeah. We saw his. You were doing the finger snap. That's what tipped me off. Yeah. Uh, like, <laughs> oh, his planet, like. They had no food, and so he sees this as a way to save humanity. And, you know, we like that. That's interesting to us. Not that we're going to root for him. But in the, you know, 1930s, not as big of a thing. You know, he was just a drunk. Whereas Bradley Cooper, we wanted to know that his mother died in childbirth, and his dad died when he was young, and he was a drunk, and we can feel that. So it doesn't bother me. That the 1937 guy isn't as well, isn't as flushed out because it wasn't as important. Well, and I do think how we, I've already said this, but like how we talk about addiction is really different today than it was in the 30s. And I mean, the, the fact that Lady Gaga says something to the effect of, I'm not mad at you, it's a disease. Like that is a thing that is literally said in the movie is... Not something they probably would have said in 1937. But I do think it's still sympathetic to him in how he cannot conquer this problem in his life. Yeah, because both she and Judy say he wants to stop. He's trying, but he just can't. Yeah. Yeah. But again, I love the makeover they try to give her. The makeup artists look like scientists. They're like... In these robes and have these spectacles. I don't even know. They try all these different eyebrows on her. Oh, is this the so version funny. where they keep saying she looks surprised? Like, no matter... There is a version of A Star is Born where they're like, yeah. her eyebrows, she looks surprised. She have to look surprised all the time? Or... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but one thing from theirs, instead of building a house out in the middle of nowhere, they go on a kind of camping trip with a trailer. And it's so it to- cute. And it totally reminded me of the long, long trailer with Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz. Yeah. Because she's making food in the back while he drives it. And in the long, long trailer, that did not work out. And the food went everywhere. But it worked out okay for her. And I think that's one of the scenes where they just have great chemistry. I think... Mm-hmm. To your point about the 70s version, my favorite parts of these movies is there's always a sequence where, like, the two lovers have an idyllic period where they've just fallen in love. They're making art together. They're going on trips together. They're building homes and lives together. Mm -hmm. And 
obviously, you know, it's not going to last, but there's just like this lovely time. It's often in montage with beautiful music playing in the background and it just makes my heart happy. Yeah, same. The OG movie and the Judy version are probably the most similar, I'd say, and they follow a, like very, very similar sequence, even though, again, singing and acting, but I, it was yeah. like this, the second half of Judy's movie felt very much like the original movie. Mm-hmm. because the setup was a little different with acting versus singing. But one funny moment that they both had was that the guy makes dinner, and he makes, what does he make? Salad and sandwiches, because that's what he knows. Uh, but still very cute in the 30s and the 50s, you know, they're they're yeah. making the sandwich. And in the Judy version, she is trying to fit her mouth around this ginormous <laughs> sandwich, and you're like, that is way too big, and she can't do it. In the original... <laughs> She has this very normal-sized sandwich, and she goes, eh, 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 I can't fit this in my mouth. It's like, open your mouth all the way. <laughs> I kind of thought the same thing. That sandwich it's... was definitely small enough. But it is. But then it turns into this cute moment in both movies where he's like, ooh, I'll have to measure your mouth. Let me try it now. And he yeah. kisses her. So cute. Yeah, so it's very cute, but the original, that sandwich was not too big. well before we move on from the 30s version can i tell you there is another 30s version that is sometimes considered the fifth version of a star is born yeah i found out about this today no time to watch what did you find Um, out about it well i found out about it a day or two ago and i cannot find a way to watch it Hmm. maybe the netflix dvd system has it (laughs) It is a 1932 movie called What Price Hollywood. It is basically a very similar story of an up-and-coming actress and a fading alcoholic film director. He gives her career a boost. The difference in this version is it is not a love story. They never have a romantic connection. In fact, Mm. she marries somebody else. And uh, there was a point where someone considered suing because the 1937 version sounded so similar to the 1932 movie which the 1932 version was directed by george kukor they asked him to direct the 1937 version he was like nah (laughs) this is too similar to the movie i made five years ago guess what he came back for the 1954 version with judy garland oh my goodness that's hilarious yeah (laughs) Um, also, George Cukor, one of my favorite old-timey Hollywood directors, Golden mm. Age. Also did My Fair Lady, I believe. Adam's Rib with Catherine Hepburn. Lots of good stuff. Nice. So, yes, if you know of a way to watch this movie, I would love to watch this movie. I can't find a way to do it, but like maybe I can check some libraries. I even tried to see if it was like on YouTube, because a lot of these old movies are in the public domain now. Couldn't find mm-hmm. it. Hmm. Yeah. That's got to be somewhere. Unless Warner Brothers decided to smash it. I think it's out there. Like, you can watch clips. You can watch trailers. But, like, when I voice searched, what price Hollywood on my Roku? They were like, we don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Okay, so 1937 version is your number three. It's my number two. Should we talk about our number one? 
Uh, newest one. I mean, it's hard not to love this one the most because it's it's a modern take. Our time period, the pacing is faster because that's how we like movies now. The music is mwah. Love the soundtrack. Can we talk about Shallow? Because, I mean, obviously. But it is such a simple song. Two verses, a chorus, and it's like even the lyrics are like, ain't it hard keeping it so hardcore? Like, that's kind of a weird lyric, but... <laughs> It, it, it worked, right? It made sense because she like wrote it just then, yeah. you know. But it, we love it. Yeah, on the Oscar. I love it. Also, feed me all the Lady Gaga, Bradley Cooper, are they in love stories? <laughs> like I realize they're playing it up for the publicity of the movie, but that Oscar's performance where they sang it together on stage. And just, like, my heart died and was resuscitated in the process of that performance. Give me all of it. I love it. <laughs> Do you have a secret fan account for them? Um, no, definitely not. No, I do not. And I just, I just love it, the two of them. And I love that weird celebrity stuff. I love, like, make me talk. Make me, like, when you're in 100% control of it. Like, I don't like celebrity uh, gossip when it's, like, vicious or snooping into people's personal lives in a way that is not what they want. But, like, Jessica Chastain and Oscar Isaac, like, you oh know, lovey-dovey on the red carpet. Lady Gaga, Bradley Cooper making me talk and going, oh, no, are they really in love? I love it. <laughs> They're in control of the narrative. I'm happy to go along okay. with it. And I recognize it may not be real, but it's okay. You know? It's entertainment, you know? Yeah, they are entertainers. They are entertaining me. They're doing their job, you know? There you go. Anyway, I just love this version so much. And, of course, no movie is perfect. And, like I said, on a different day, I might pick a different one as my favorite. But I just... The music is phenomenal. I think mm -hmm. this is the first movie where a supporting character really gets to shine in a way that they don't in any of the others. Sam Elliott as Bradley Cooper's brother is... Amazing. I mean, he's only in a few scenes, but like... He got an Oscar it, nom. Yeah. Like, you could argue he steals the show from Bradley Cooper in a couple moments. Like, he's just that great. Rightfully so, because Jackson stole his songs or something. Oof. Also, let's talk about in that scene where he's like, I wasn't modeling myself after dad. I was modeling myself after you. And then oh my gosh. you have the slow tear down Sam Elliott's face as he backs out of the driveway. Shut up. Oh that my is. Gosh. That also killed me and resuscitated me. So good. Oh. <laughs> Um, what did you think about Bradley Cooper's voice? I like it. I'm not a huge country fan. So like Sorry, his talking voice. Oh, his talking voice. Well, I also, in a mix of life and art, know he was modeling it on Sam Elliott, who does have a very deep voice. 
which makes sense for the movie. It does take you a little out of it if you've ever seen Bradley Cooper in anything else, like mm-hmm. Guardians of the Galaxy or <laughs> even Silver Lighting's playbook. Like, his voice is not that deep. So it does take you out of it a little bit, but I think it fits the character, so yeah. I don't care. I agree that sometimes I would, like, remember that that's not his voice, but I just thoroughly enjoyed it. I love that drawl. I love when he and Diaga are talking in the parking lot and he like it's like you shouldn't be able to hear him, but like you can. He's like, Did you just write that now? Is that me? <laughs> and I love it. I loved loved his voice. Ain't it hard keeping it so hard core? Is that me? That's you. You just write that now? Yeah. It's pretty good. I love him walking through the supermarket looking for the peas to put on her fist. Mm-hmm. I love just, I love so much of their interaction. And even though I think they do have that one brutal scene where they're fighting when she's in the bathtub. Mm-hmm. To me, that feels like a level, like... It feels like a conversation, an argument you would have with someone that you love where you know just how to hurt that person. And, like, they're both going back and forth, especially him. He's poking the bear. I think it's more representative of a real argument. And obviously Mm -hmm. they do have this addiction that is impacting their marriage and relationship. And that's a factor. But to me, it does not feel... They apologize and they do not get over it like Barbara and Chris do. Yeah. Like, they acknowledge yeah. it's a problem. He has this very public disaster at the Grammys. He goes to rehab. He never goes to rehab in the 1976 version. He does get clean for a while, but he never right. goes to a place to try and, like, deal with the more fundamental yeah. issues going on. Um, and I didn't know, but Bradley Cooper apparently dealt with substance abuse, and he said that that helped him. In this video that I found, they talk about it, but then they also clip from from an interview with Bradley Cooper. This version seems to have the best understanding of the real-world issues at the story's heart, pulling no punches. Its portrayal of substance abuse is especially genuine, which isn't surprising given director, star, and scriptwriter Bradley Cooper's own personal experiences with addiction early on in his career. Because I wouldn't have been able to have access to myself or other people or even been able to take in other people uh, if I hadn't changed my life. So one thing that the video talked about, too, is that the most recent version, totally his bad behavior was because of his substance abuse. Whereas in the other three, there's this ego that is playing into it. And there's this moment in all of them where they're calling for Esther and he answers, the guy answers and they're like, uh, could you tell her this? And he's like, no, I'm not her secretary. And then they're like, oh, hey, it's you. I remember you. And so a lot of it, too, is their ego that she's doing so well and their um, their careers crumbling. But mm-hmm. in the most recent version, it was his sub- substance abuse. And he was frustrated that Allie was doing more pop as opposed to, like, 
true, you know, rock or, you know, that kind of yeah music, which, I mean, it's all, it can all be high quality. <laughs> so, like, you don't yeah. have to be in one genre. But he felt like, well, like in the lyrics, you know, um, about a guy's butt. But, yeah. Um, here's what <laughs> I'm going to say. That song is a banger, and also it's the stupidest song <laughs> in the world. But it feels exactly like the kind of song that would be huge on the radio about butts. Like, but have I listened to it more than once because it's so catchy? Yes. Am I proud of this? Eh, not exactly, <laughs> but I'll own it. Why do you look so good in those jeans? I remember reading an article or watching a video back when the movie first came out. And they said we needed a song to be good enough that it would be believable to be on the radio and be popular, but still bad enough that, you know, Bradley Cooper would be frustrated. And if I were him, I would be frustrated. Yeah. Even, yes, yes, I would be frustrated. Like, I don't feel like this is up to par of Shallow that you wrote in a parking lot with peas on your hand, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, another, you mentioned Bradley Cooper has struggled with addiction, and that's why it's personal. I think one of the weird and perhaps, I, I don't know, it's, we'll just summarize it as weird. One of the weird coincidences is that many of the stars of these films have struggled with addiction throughout their history. Most famously, Judy Garland, as we know, struggled with a lot of addiction in her career, and a lot mm -hmm. of that started with the adults in her life introducing drugs to her at a young age. So kind of like Bradley Cooper's character having a bad role model, set, not setting mm -hmm. him up for success. She at one point said, this is the story of my life. I'm about to shoot myself in this scene. Another time she said, come over to my house in the afternoon. I do this performance every afternoon, but at home I only do it once. So this felt very personal for her, and she was oh, struggling with addiction very clearly in her life at this time, um, and it was impacting her career significantly. I believe also many of the real-life Hollywood stars that inspired the first version in the 30s, they were severely struggling with addiction, and also there are a number of early Hollywood figures where the men were surpassed by their wives in popularity. Mm. So this seems to be a true story that people were looking around for real examples. For example, Barbara Stanwyck had a husband who was known to be struggling with substance abuse and her career was rising even as his career was failing. So mm. we'll share some more articles, especially Turner Classic Movies has a lot of these stories. There are several different articles talking about the scenes and moments that were inspired by real moments. Supposedly the scene in this, what they called at the time the sanitarium, what we would call rehab today, was inspired by a real movie star's trip there. So there's mm. just a lot of stories of substance abuse in Hollywood and how they influenced these movies. Yeah. These movies were a lot. And I mean, I commend the, I guess maybe I'm totally wrong in this, but I have this idea that like 1930s movies 
they were just like fluff and not a lot going on. And here's the thing. I don't really watch movies that old except for, for this podcast when it demands. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like this, this story is really powerful and I don't know. I commend them for making it then and, and today. Why not? And one of the things I think is also worth mentioning, one of my favorite things about these movies, and is one of the factors of why the Barbara version is my least favorite, because I think it does it the least well, is one of the big themes of the story is someone wants to commit suicide because they believe people would be better without them, mm-hmm. which I think is a is obviously a very real feeling that people with depression struggle with. And I think these movies make it very clear the world is not better without this person. Both in the case of like our female character, she obviously does not feel better without this person. Mm -hmm. Especially in the more recent versions, they talk about how the fans of these artists are impacted by losing Someone in the newest version, you see Sam Elliott. In other versions, the friends. Like, while there is always, like, a terrible person who says a terrible thing to him that makes him believe the worst thing about himself that he's always worried about, that he is a burden and the world would be better without him. I think the the message of these stories is the world is not better without you. And at the same time, I think getting to see all these women go, you know, kind of pull themselves up by the bootstraps with the helps of their friends. I still think it doesn't end on a tragic note, even though there's tragedy. Like she does get herself together. She does move on or like not necessarily move on that. She forgets him. She moves forward. She's able to like return to this creative outlet that she loves. She has other people in her life. So like, I don't think you end these movies on a downer note even though there's sadness and tragedy. And, like, to me, those are both really encouraging things. And I think that's part of why I love this story so much, is that even though terrible things happen, the world is better with you, and mm-hmm. tragedy is not the end. Don't want to feel another touch. Don't want to start another fire. Don't want to know another kiss. Should we talk about how this fits into the world of Gilmore Girls? So seeing how night was going, which was that every idea for something, an activity to do for Lorelai and Suki do together ended with, well, I can't do that because my pregnancy is preventing me. (laughs) (laughs) Don't think they would have gotten through three versions of A Star is Born think they would have gotten through well maybe they could have gotten through the barbara one and they could have definitely gotten through the janet gainer version because they skipped that one's Mm -hmm. shorty (laughs) but yeah i think that would have been a little much for tired suki yeah 
I think my favorite moment of this reference, though, is the end of the episode when Luke comes back. So romantic when mm-hmm. Judy Garland is singing The Man That Got Away, which, of course, is a oh. very poignant song for Luke coming back. And maybe I'm reading too much into this, but, you know, never. a couple episodes, <laughs> yeah, never, never on the show, but a couple episodes ago when they had broken up after the disastrous episode at the wedding. And Lorelai is devastated. She won't get out of bed. She thinks I've ruined it. I feel like some of that depression kind of like mirrors the Norman main character who believes he ruins all the good things in his life and is literally like making other people's lives worse. Now, obviously, Lorelai does not take it as far mm-hmm. <laughs> as the Norman Maine or Jackson Maine character does. But I do think there's some parallels there with about believing your life is worse off or other people's lives are worse off with you in it. And I yeah. kind of love that this is refuting that theory that looks like you're not too much for me. I screwed up running away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, that I love that scene too in Gilmore Girls when he comes and she opens the door and she just like takes him inside because, like, you know, he didn't cheat on her. There wasn't like an issue that they, you know, have to talk through and like someone needed, you know, some forgiveness. It was more of, I mean, just. Him being like, holy crap, your mother, how are we going to do this, you know? And then yeah. him coming was him saying, I can deal. And so she was like, all right, that's all yeah. I need. <laughs> and so I just love just like that welcoming him back. Yes. It's very romantic. And obviously I do not want to put Emily Gilmore on the same plane as an addiction with substance abuse. <laughs> but I do think the message of these movies can be interpreted as we have tough stuff and like we need to stick together even when we face really tough challenges i think that's like what you're rooting for Mm -hmm. in these versions except maybe barbara yeah (laughs) i was gonna say but yeah again you're rooting for them and believe that there is a world where the two of them could like stick together through these challenging circumstances and while emily gilmore is not exactly the same playing field (laughs) i do think it's like on that similar theme of like we're going to stick together even though there are issues that will never go away. You will always have your crazy family in yeah. your life that will try and destroy our relationship and we're going to like choose to fight for it anyway. Yeah. As long as you're not a toxic person. <laughs> yes. And Luke and Lorelai, while flawed people, as we all are, are they are not generally toxic people. <laughs> yeah. I agreed. Yeah. Oh, and... <laughs> We didn't even say, but, like, in the Barbara version, when they have that fight and they're doing that, I hate you, I love you, I hate you, I love you, that's when she's, like, chewing on his lip, which is so weird because it's, like, you know, a little bit of nibbling can be, like, playful with your partner, but also she's, like, mad at him, so it felt like it was violent. Yes. She also, like, chewed on his shoulder and, like, she was... Biting him elsewhere. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't. That was weird. It is that laughable. That felt unhealthy. 
yes, it is like on surface level laughable that she's chewing his lip like that because it looks ridiculous. But like when you actually think about their relationship, you're like, Ugh, I don't like yeah. this. No. <laughs> she also chewed on his beard. I wrote that down. Ugh. You don't know what's been in that beard. Except you do because he was just in bed with another woman oh. like five seconds ago. <sighs> there are just lots and lots of things that I don't like about their relationship. But but Suki perhaps, likes that scene. What does that say? I think she thinks it's funny. That's how I read it, the way she mm. says. I think it's, I wouldn't watch that part where she chews on his lip. <laughs> All right, fair. Yeah. Maybe I'm just reading into that too. How I hope she's thinking of it. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, Kyla? So, Taylor? That's our show? <laughs> That's our show! Our show is born! And this is probably going to be our longest episode in a long time because yeah. we talked about four and a half movies. Yeah. Um, I'm so glad we finally covered this. I've been wanting to because I hadn't watched all of them yet. All the the stars born. Um, and I'm glad that we got to dive into it like this because like comparing them all is so interesting. Hope you guys found it as interesting as we did. I will only sign off with one fun fact because as I told Kylo before we recorded... I have so many fun facts about these movies. I spent a decent amount of time just reading about them for fun. But can I tell you some of the gentlemen that were considered for Ooh. the Norman Maine, Jackson Maine character in history? Please and do. yes, many of whom we have discussed before. For the 1954 version, some of them were Humphrey Bogart, who hmm. reportedly had a screening of the 1937 version and had friends over at least once a year. Like, because he loved that movie so much. Hmm. Um, Frank Sinatra? Oh my gosh, yeah. what a dream. I would have loved that. <laughs> um, Errol Flynn was yes. <laughs> considered for the role. Also, Cary Grant very, almost did it. And I think he kind of said it hit too close to home on some levels. I didn't get all wow. the details of what that meant, but I think it was a little like... The story of addiction is too close to home, was my interpretation. Hmm. And the 2018 version almost was not a Bradley Cooper movie. This most recent hmm. update has been kicking around Hollywood in some form or fashion for years. At one point, Clint Eastwood was going to direct. It would have been a very different weird. movie. I mean, he's a good director, <laughs> but it would have been a very weird movie or yeah. compared to what we got. And at one time, Will Smith and Beyonce were both attached or, like, That's in amazing. talks to be in this. And, like, I would still watch the Will Smith-Beyonce version. Yeah. I don't care that they're probably a lot older now than what they were when they were talking about it. But I don't know. I feel like in 20 years, we're going to get another one. Mm -hmm. It's probably going to be about an aging Instagram influencer passing on the reins <laughs> to, like... The newest TikTok star. Oh, my gosh. Ben Mankiewicz is on record saying that he thought it could be, like, all Kardashians in no, the 2027 no. version. No. Love it. Um, And just one last thing to add before we close out our discussion. I just want to say for the record, 
Lady Gaga, I think she has one of the best voices, like top two, maybe like her and Adele. Mm. Just one of the best voices. I've thought that for a long time. Hearing her live, I, mean, I haven't heard her live, but hearing her, just like her and her piano. I remember I heard her perform, I think on like Oprah or something, and I like watched the clip many years ago. And I was like, holy crap, her voice is amazing. Like, but you know, her music was very like a little bit of techno. You know, it had a lot of yeah. electronics. So not that that was bad, but you just couldn't hear her by herself. And I just think that she has one of the most amazing voices. So when I saw that she was going to do A Star is Born, I just felt like, yes, she, right now, best voice. Yes, she deserves that. And so I just want to put it out there. I've known for a while. And I believe she insisted on a lot of live singing on set in the movie. And we know Mm. she's got the chops. Yeah. She's got it. Yeah. But that's enough is enough. Sign up for our newsletter. Mm-hmm. Go to our Instagram, Twitter. So it's a show. Links are in the description. Tumblr for all the articles of fun facts that we didn't have time to talk about. All of them. Because and leave us your reviews. Because you know what's funny is I spent all the time talking about how the Judy version is too long, and now this is one of our longest episodes of the <laughs> So Boom. am I a hypocrite? Yes. Okay. Um, here's a teaser for our next step. Come in, good folk. We are embarking on a wonderful adventure. Right here in this room, we'll display Mr. Twickham's impressive collection of memorabilia. Upstairs, we'll house the multimedia dioramas depicting the history of the town. Sounds good. 